episode of Neo Reality Collective is brought to you by The Everyday Fan. Check out their content and a passionate group of content creators getting together to create content for the, for the growing community of pop culture, fan base, fandoms, and especially sports such as football, basketball, baseball, professional wrestling, and MMA fantasy sport. Control your content and, set, and set, share your story around the world today. The Neo Reality Entertainment brand expands with a relaunch of the Neo Reality Collective Pop Culture News Talk. Your host, Eric Brown, gives his insights and thoughts in the ever-expanding news world of comic books, professional wrestling, gaming, TV, and movies. Be sure to donate to the brand and keep up to date with additional content on YouTube channels such as Neo Reality Entertainment, NRE The Wrestleverse, and NRE Pop Culture Omniversa. Welcome everyone to Neo Reality Collective. I am your host, Eric Brown. We are now at the next big milestone, episode 70. Oh boy, it has been a crazy ride, haven't we? And with the amount of episodes I have to go ahead and start pro- start producing in order to catch up on multitude of stuff, and especially as the days go by, it is intense. Uh, I've been working on my wrestling content channel. I've been basically on this rejuvenation period ever since I got a new microphone, so I don't have to keep switching back and forth with the... Uh, microphones I have in both my rooms I'm using for basically as a studio set. This is a more intimate setting for me when it comes to doing the Neo Reality Collective Pop Culture News Talk and the NRE Wrestleverse podcast. But yeah, with the mic I have been able to get more rejuvenation. I haven't been having sleeping problems as much. Uh, I've been churning out content lately a lot. It's very productive fun. I'm having fun doing this. I can't help but st- imagine not. I can't help but not imagine not doing this. It's just a very fun thing to do. And let's dig right into this because my God, there's a whole bunch of stuff I need to catch up on. One of the big subjects about back in or mid June was the announcement the Continental. The world store, the spin-off three-part event featuring Mel Gibson. So yeah, Mel Gibson, you know the guy who has a history of domestic violence, anti-Semitic comments, would be starring in the three-episode miniseries, and he plays an important character who who is the current ruthless proprietor of the titular Continental. Many fans were mad about this, especially one saying, It's not that Mel Gibson proves cancel culture is the thing, it's that hiring Mel Gibson shows society actually doesn't care about domestic violence, racism, or anti-Semitism. During the exclusive preview of The Continental, IGN asked executive producer er, and executive producer-director Albert Hughes and Basil, I can't pronounce that last name, I try, if they had any hesitation in casting him given his many controversies. Uh, Basil said no. Later, he clarified that he wasn't trying to dismiss the question. There just simply wasn't any consideration about it. I don't think anybody could have fit better. Let's put it that way. Saying no, I think he w- fit the role. He he was also answered it saying I think he fit the role. He fit what we need based on this film's past. And I'll leave the others for debate to the other stuff because it's not about black and white issues. And I don't want to sound bited, sound bited, or and clickbaity. 
that's a tricky game to get into. I have my own personal beliefs in life and whatnot about everything, but I'm here to entertain. And earlier in my career, I wasn't so careful, but there's a weight that he brought, the stuff that he brought from his past roles, and what he has done that we needed for this role. I don't think anybody could have fit better. Let's put it that way, just with his chops and his experience. So, yeah. Considering his past, uh, in fact, he even... Like, even though Mel Gibson has been knowing to do horrible things, he also, and after 2006, and, yeah, he called it an unfortunate incident when asked about it in a 2016 interview with Variety, and in 2011, he pleaded no contest to a misdemeanor charge of battery. Even still, Gibson had found work in Hollywood, like the 2016 critically acclaimed Hacksaw Ridge, damn it, uh... Tells you how much Hollywood's power is, unfortunately. But speaking of speaking of the Continental, there was an exclusive interview with the producer and director, with the producers and directors of it, and yeah, Basil said this: "All we do in the John Wick universe is worry." Basil might be exaggerating a little here, but in general, he doesn't mince the words when talking about the pressure behind the Continental Peacock's upcoming John Prequel miniseries. Basil has been with John Wick since the first movie in 2013, producing all four films, upcoming, the upcoming spinoff, Bellarina, and The Continental, and he announces that it's very intimidating to embark on the first John Wick spinoff that doesn't have the famous Keanu Reeves character at, the, at its center. There's no other word for it, but I have to say, from movie to movie, we've been intimidated because we were the accidental franchise. The first movie no one thought would ever have the impact it had, let alone star franchise. We've always felt like we were underdogs and that we were in a street fight and that intimidation is nothing new for us. So, to go with this new John Wick thing, which is a three-episode, 90-minute miniseries event heading into 1970s New York to essentially provide an origin story for Winston Scott who is played by Ian McShane in the films, and how he came to be the proprietor of his branch in the of the titular assassin Safe Haven. And... <laughs> yeah. This has been... And they focus on new t take on Winston, with Colin Woods taking on the role of the younger version of him, and Woodland... Colin Woodwell uh, tells IGN that Winston is a completely different person and completely different version of himself in the Continental than he is in the films. And he was, and the actor is not is one of the few people who hadn't seen John Wick before he got the role, which the actor is actually grateful for as they allowed him to approach the audition process while trying to emulate McShane. Woodwell did end up binging all the movies after he found out he got the part and latched onto the Winston's constantly unfazed attitude. The first year you meet Winston in 2014's John Wick, have a drink and relax, the whole, that whole thing is just a sense of ease in this world. He's so comfortable in a universe that's just dark, mysterious, and very threatening. And Winston just has the air to him that doesn't, where he doesn't really care. You also see it in John Wick 3, where John and Sharon are battling at the high table soldiers, and he's just sitting in his old sipping whiskey with the pit bull. It's just like, oh, this guy doesn't really give a shit. So he's trying to match that very... That is, it, trying to match that is very intimidating, he said, but I also think it was a great template for me to be like, okay, this guy's incredibly smart, he's creative with his choices, but he's also the brains over bronze kind of guy. In a world of violence, he's going to try to outcalculate someone. So he goes on to talk about the character, about the character, 
portraying him in the New York setting of the Continental, and how it redefines the history in the John Wick series. And in fact, Adam Hughes teased that episode three, which of the three-part event has 57 minutes of action, where Woodell says he and his castmates were constantly training. Taking place in, within a hyper-styled 1970s, he notes, which are some of the vibes that he absolutely wanted to take advantage of. He points to Easter eggs and episodes that call back to major pop culture at the time, like the Warriors, and referencing all that. And the exact taxi from Taxi Driver, and, there's the, and then there's the commercials they, that we love, and of course, the biggest thing was the music. And they talk about the future of the Continental... But um, they wanted to continue. But even though Peacock still needs to see how the continent will do well, it's clear that Lionsgate is eager to expand the John Wick universe. Going back to that anxiety that you buddies will mention earlier, he's just that we don't want to screw this up. Hughes admits that he's thought about what another season of the Continental could look like. In fact, he mentions the showrunner, Kirk Ward. Got him excited about the idea that we'll explore the establishment in the early 80s. Well, considering that, as far as I'm aware, the movie starts, the first start of the movie starts in 2014. You have several decades to work around work around this. I, I would love to see how the 90s, and especially the day in 2001, would have explored the Continental around what was going on at that time. <laughs> they also want to see what it's like in the 80s and that uh, he also hints that we've never seen a young John Wick before and says he'd like to see more about who Winston becomes in between his version of the character and McShane the one we know in the films but uh, uh seeing a young John Wick would be interesting I don't know how they could do it but they'll probably find somebody so Fleet Bay creator Indiana Jones Dial of Destiny for actor Phoebe Waller-Bridge confirmed in an interview with IGN that she is indeed working on a Tomb Raider streaming series for the Amazon Prime Video platform. Previously reported that she will script and executive produce the series based on the long-running video game franchise. So, she also scripted No Time to Die and is starring in the Indiana Jones movie. She was also the showrunner on the first season of the thriller series Killing Eve. And saying this, there's so much I can incorporate. I mean, the character of Laura Croft was inspired by Indiana Jones and James Bond. So there's so much, and it just felt like the perfect final step of my own personal adventure through this kind of franchise world. And, yeah. I, I, I like the idea of the Tomb Raider having a franchise. They did try to make movies. It did not work out. Uh, but it's always that same issue when it comes to gaming and move and, and live action TV media. They have the money to replicate to make the effects look freaking awesome now. The technology is there now. Like, look at the Mandalorian alone. But when you're trying to incorporate, but like when people play the video games, like they love the story, they love the characters, but that's the benefit of gaming. You're physically taking part, you're, you're playing the character, you're playing this and identifying them. If they, just, if they had made this strictly a series, that would be a different animal entirely, but this has the pressure of trying to somehow cat, trying to play, basically catch up with the games and try and have that same impact. It's just something that bugs me how they Hollywood still has this struggle with it. It's just frustrating in my eyes. It's just one of those days. One of those days! 
Also, a mid-parent company restructured the Dead Island 2 expansions were revealed back on June 13th, and two expansions detailed, each of which come with a brand new set of missions, weapons, and skills, as well as new areas to explore. The first expansion, called House, is due to out in the fourth quarter of 2023. The official description seeing how does a billionaire prepare for the zombie apocalypse with a techno death cult and a healthy splash of debauchery and gore. The second expansion is called Solo Festival, where LA's party people can greenwash their way to ecstasy and save the play in true LA fashion, one rave at a time. It's due for the second quarter of 2024. Both expansions are including the expansion pass and will be available to purchase separately as well. And recently announced plans to close studios, cancel games, and lay off Star as part of a massive structure. Restructuring them may have serious implications for Deep Silver. The company was wants to prioritize high-profit projects and ditch those they believe it will make less money. God damn it! So I do think Volition is screwed, especially. Which I think the people who pub, who I think Deep Silver is also kind of screwed because if you think about it, Saints Row came out last year and that failed miserably. And I saw the I saw reviews and I was like, oh for fuck's sake! Like how do they screw Saints Row? Up? Like I get the idea of the reboot, I totally get it, but the characters from what I've seen from the videos weren't exciting weren't me to engage in heck the silent protagonist in saint rose one had more character and he was and he at least spoke once much to every character acknowledging is did he just talk he or she but yeah uh, it's just a long way back for people meanwhile phasmophobia is coming to consoles in august yay during the extended showcase, because of course Xbox had to have an extended showcase afterwards, Phasmophobia will be getting a uh, console access launch on the Xbox, PlayStation, and PlayStation 2 VR 2 in August of this year. Which a reveal trailer confirmed a whole host of features, including optional crossplay, free content updates, seasonal events, and trophies. It also listed unique ghost personalities, although it's not clear if they meant unique to consoles or were simply existing feature in Phas Phasmophobia. As other selling points include stuff like the rather ambiguous customization. Ooh. But that's about it for Phasmophobia. I have never been a horror guy. And Hi-Fi Rush is also getting an arcade challenge update coming in in July, so that's awesome. And um, uh, an arcade mode, Power Up, Tower Up. Uh, let's see, the second new mode called BMP, BM, BPM Rush, which ramps up the BMP speed as you defeat endless waves of enemies and special targets. If you're good, you can ramp the tempo all the way up to 200 BPM. The two modes will bring you five new original songs and two new enemy types. Yeah, I've heard about how Hi-Fi Rush is very popular, especially being the level of, of uh, price it was given. Lawyer was half the price of a AAA game. Much too tribalist is nonsense. Incredulous nonsense. Also, um, a new PDLC is coming out for a 2022 first-person shooter, High on Life, called High on Knife. Huh. Well, um... If we're going with that name, I'm pretty sure Jay White would like it if he was listening to this. I'm pretty sure he would love to hear that. 
And new post on Xbox Wire, Squatch Games CEO Studio Director Mike Friedley confirmed the DLC set two years after the events of the base game and that everything is totally cool until Knifey gets a package from home. Don't ask how or why Knifey gets his game mail. It's mysterious for a reason. They will also introduce new guns, and one of them is in hardcore, voiced by SNL Sarah Sermon, and another confirmed as Ball, B-A-L-L, an acronym, who is a little weird pinball game operated by a gaggle of tiny gibberish speaking freaks, who is voiced by Alex Ribbons, the narrative director of High on Life. <sighs> And the fact that that game became Xbox Game Pass's biggest launch of 2022, the biggest third-party Game Pass launch ever, and the biggest single-player launch of Game Pass of all time, that should tell you a lot. Uh, considering that also one of the voices of the main character, the Kenny, uh, insert South Park joke if you like, is voiced by Justin Rowland, who earlier this year was charged for very, 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 very graphic domestic violence, and the fact that several things um, happened where the several companies cut tied, especially Rick and Morty, and announced that it would recast this role in future seasons. Uh, Squatch Games even announced that he resigned from the company on January 16, 2023, in March. So the charges brought against him were dropped, so take it for that what you will. But it was given an 8 out of 10 on the High of Life review, and a lot of people did enjoy it. And I... Look, I don't want to go talk about that, because that's just so effed up. But, yeah, let's help the game, and they find a suitable actor to take the role from him since well no one wants to talk to him anymore at all so Andor Star Wars Andor I have not watched it I have kind of lost interest in Star Wars for a while after Kenobi uh, I've heard there were some praises for Andor especially Andor being more ground based grounded based political thriller action adventure spy thriller kind of vibe and featuring practical effects more than ever and not be the massive technologically expensive mandalorian thing but uh i have not watched it i might watch it one day um <laughs> yeah well, according to The Hollywood Reporter, Andor had a but the first season of the 12 episode season had a cost of $250 million for his entire season. That was more expensive than The Mandalorian. And the showrunner insisted it would have been impossible to make without that kind of budget. I'm like, you could probably make it, but you would have to use a ton of CG technology and that studio thing they did. So think about this. This is a 12-episode season, and $250 million. Insane, I know. <laughs> uh, $250 million divided by 12 is... Over $20 million, close to 20 to $21 million per episode. So, insane in the membrane. So, anyways, we got lucky making this during the gold rush a few years ago. A lot of people had now have cold feet, and you can't do this show inexpensively. I'm just so relieved at the reaction because we were making this huge, obscure thing, and we knew it was crazy. Like, is this too much? Have we gone too far? There were no focus groups or test audiences. Now it will be good to stick we, if we can stick the landing and go out strong. So, please note, um, 
The Mandalorian's first season cost around 120 episodes with a budget of 50 million per episode. It also overtakes Halo's $10 million per episode price tag. Uh, the Last of Us adaptation had a $10 million per episode price tag. And though it isn't quite as expensive as the reported 465 million production budget of the Prime Video Lord of the Rings series and whatnot. And Andor Season 2 is currently filming, though it's and it's set for an August 2024 premiere window, though it's unclear due to the riot strike. Disney is remaining relatively tight-lipped about it, though we do notice the final, se- final episodes will cover three days before Rogue One events. So, let's see if they can compress all those histories of Andor in second season into a suitable package finale. Then I'll probably watch it. Meanwhile, Summer Games Fest is set to set with Hub announces both his Summer Games Fest. Jeff Kingley uh, announced this Summer Games Fest showcase and in-person play days event will return in June 2024. After the record saying 2023, we are excited to share some news. Summer Games Fest will return in June 2024, including our live showcase events hosted by Jeff Kingley and Summer Games Fest days from I Am 8-Bit. So he created in response to the COVID pandemic, King Lee did, which resulted in the usual same major summer in-person event shutting down and the move to digital showcases instead. And there was a lot of big events like Final Fantasy Rebirth. But uh, yeah, I kept hearing the event was a quote disaster for some. Like I don't watch these events like I used to when I was a kid. If they did when I was a kid, I probably would have watched it, but I don't. I, I haven't watched, I never watched E3 for a long time. It's just, I've kind of gotten older and I just read the stuff on news and articles about it. I don't see how the events, extravagant stuff happens. But, uh, yeah. According to Variety, uh, so Star Wars, Marvel, and Avatar films delayed in massive Disney reshuffle. Like the first Star Wars film set for 2025, it's now set for 2026, May 22nd. And it will just be the first Star Wars film to release that year, however, as Disney also did the second one for December 18, 2026. Not showing any signs of slowing down, they announced the third Star Wars film would be released in 2027 on December 17th. Marvel was, an- was another victim of the shakeup with the recently renamed Captain America Brave New World was the first to face the delay from May 3rd to August 2024 of next year. The Thunderbolts has been also moved back to December 20th, 2024, Blade for February 14th, 2025, and Fantastic Four May 2nd, 2025. Both the Avengers films, The King Dynasty and Secret Wars, have been moved from May from May uh, 2025 and 2026 to May 1st, 2026 for King Dynasty and May 7th, 2027 for the Secret Wars event. And James Cameron infamously delayed Avatar franchises retrending all ground 2, with Avatar 3 now set to be released on December 19, 2025, and Avatar 4 will be released on December 21st, 2029, and Episode 5 will be released next decade, <laughs> oh crap, on December 19, 2031. Production delays are set as one reason for the changes, with pause filming on Blade and Thunderbolts caused by the writer's strike having ramifications throughout the rest of the MCU. The writer's strike is still ongoing, which has affected a ton of films, including the follow- fellow MCU for MCU project Spider-Man 4. The fact that we have to now wait a full decade to end the Avatar series, I don't even know if James Cameron will make it that far, man. Meanwhile, Paul McCarthy recently revealed that he used AI to help him complete what he describes as the finals Beatles record. 
So John Lennon had an old song that was never finished called Now and Then, and Paul McCarthy just said, I'm going to use artificial intelligence. Now, he did also come out and say that he does have apprehension for it, saying, I'm not on the internet that much, much, but people will say to me, oh, yeah, there's a track where John's singing one of my songs, and it's just AI. It, it's kind of scary but exciting because it's the future. We'll just have to see where that leads. Mostly probably Terminator. Meanwhile, fans have lo are loving the new companion droid, uh, Nyx, for the upcoming Star Wars Outlaws open world game. Of course. Of course. So, yeah, Nyx has now earned the love of everything about, about Star Wars fans in ways that confound and disturb me, no doubt. Nyx is uh, the little tiny, is the little creature that looks like a bundle of joy. And I'm like, oh, God damn it. So, um, yeah, there, there are, Nyx is an excited creature called a Murkwall. I'm pretty sure I butchered that, but they hail from a planet of unknown origin. Oh, jeez, I wonder why. However, some fans were quick to point out that its resemblance to, to the Noble x Roll, a type of fur, frilled aquatic salamander found on Earth, obviously, which has the incredible ability to regrow entire limbs. <sighs> Oh dear. Yeah, so everyone now loves him. Eh, then maybe we'll get another baby Yoda fiasco out of this. So an ex developer of Respawn Entertainment revealed that yes, Titanfall 3 was in fact happening. It was actually in development for 10 months before it was cut. So he came out and told the Mohammed, I can't pronounce that last name, who became the narrative lead designer for Time on the would-be Titanfall 3 before it was cut, what told the Burnett Network Burnett Network. Ah, god damn it. That much work on the sequel had been done, saying Titanfall came, Titanfall 2 came out and did what it did, and we were like, okay, we're gonna make Titanfall 3, and we worked on Titanfall 3 for about three months in earnest, right? We had new tech for it, we had multiple missions going, we had a first playable, which was on par of just good, if not better than whatever we had before, right? But I'll make it clear, incrementally better, it wasn't revolutionary, and that's the key thing, right? We were feeling pretty decent about it, but not the same feeling as Timefall 2, where we were making something revolutionary, you know what I mean? So what happened next? According to him, it was a combination of, both of the multiplayer team having issues making an experience that didn't burn players out quickly, and the explosion of the Battle Royale genre, with the release of PUBG in 2017. So, so um, <laughs> we can blame uh, PUBG and the explosion of Battle Royale. <laughs> so thanks a lot, PUBG. Your legacy will forever be known as ruining the fun. So, yeah, Xbox Game Studios had the head of Xbox Game Studios, Matt Booty, I could say something, but that would be too easy. So, 
he decided to basically blame the Redfall team, saying they should have prepared better to be a first-party game. Okay. How about you just delay the game and then let them work it out? Xbox leadership had taken responsibility for it, as well as indicated that they thought it was going to perform better due to stronger mock reviews. On reflection, though, head of game Xbox Game Studios, Matt Booty, adds that part of the reason the team didn't recognize the issues was due to what they claim as, is tunnel vision and missing the bigger picture. <laughs> so... He goes on to say that the, the fall of Redfall did not fall, it falls on him, himself, and Zaymac head, head James Letter, and they're just plays not to blame the individual developers. You were just doing that technically. Like, okay, I get you, you tell, like, they were working on a PS5 version until they got bought out, but like, shouldn't you have, like, never announced it and then waited it out? I know that's asking too much, but come on. So, anyways, after the horrendous failure, of Gollum is it precious so Embracer Group decided to say there needs to be exploiting the Lord of the Rings IP in a very significant fashion by turning into one of the biggest gaming franchises in the world exploiting Exploiting J.R.R. Tolkien's grand masterpiece, his magma opus. <sighs> Damn it. You're going to say exploiting instead of pushing Lord of the Rings or guiding Lord of the Rings. You, you want to use the word exploit, which is a popular corporate manner. Uh, I'm pretty certain Johnny Silverhand could talk to you about that. Fuck corporations. Okay, what else? Fuck corporations. Okay. So anyways, Xbox Game Studios boss, Matt Booty, has claimed Starfield already has fewer bugs than Skyrim, Fallout 4, or any other Bethesda game, speaking to Giant Bomb. Yeah, the last time someone said there was nothing wrong, with, that there was not as much bugs or glitches or issues or is, or they playtested and there was no issues with it or not as much issues. Let's see, what was it? Uh, it was a popular game. It, it was a popular hyped up game. They would treat it like it was the second coming. Uh, they had to turn, they had destroyed their reputation and they had spent years trying to build it back up. And Phantom Liberty's coming out. Oh, yeah, Cyberpunk 2077. So, uh, I'll just wait. So, anyways, Diablo 4 earned over $666 million in sales in less than a week following his full June 6th release. And they already said the players have sunk in the equivalent of uh, 30,000 years of playtime into the game while wiping out a staring 2.73 billion monsters. This is taking account to global sales across all platforms. We do not know the extent of the microtransactions. (sighs) 
I'm concerned, nonetheless. Also, Bioware announces that they immediately pulls a super bizarre, super bizarre Mass Effect statue. I was trying to check it out, and I was just like, um, weird. This is weird. Very, very weird. The, the statue was pitched as a conversation starter that depicts Commander Shepard expelled from a criminally normally hurling through, through space to her untimely demise. Last year, Bioware's gear store has seemingly gone rogue as last year released a Mass Effect 5 poster that promised Shepard would return. This was quickly removed, and project director Michael Gavel, Gamble, whatever, saying the merchandise department simply made a mistake, but fans remained skeptical. So you're just advertising Shepard's death as a as a as a, as a pool to go ahead and then pull it because it's weird and a conversation starter. What's the conversation we're supposed to have? I, I'm generally confused. Like I I do not get what you're trying to say. Um, it's just confusing. It just is really confusing what you're trying to say from here. But, yeah. I'll probably take your word for it. But, yeah, let's get back to things. Um, Pedro Pascal, uh, Pascal or whatever, the Mandalorian as he's known. So... He has not watched the finale, saying it hurts too much, saying it's because of his emotional attachment to the experience. As a guy who's pushing 50 to feel this very important semi-angry and emotional attachment to the experience that's over, well, it won't be until the second season happens. Oh, damn. So, yeah, he, he, he has a... So I'm a little worried, but once he does the second season, he'll regret ever doing this. Oh. <laughs> so uh, Blizzard, in their quest to prove to the world that we shouldn't be pieing Overwatch, revealed that uh, you have to pay... $15 for permanent access to the PvE story missions and the upcoming 6th season Invasion. Okay. Why? Why? And then Blizzard came and confirmed to IGN that players will actually need to buy either the invade buy either of the invasion bundles to even access the missions in the first place. Wow, Blizzard, you're you're really, really grinding everyone's gears, aren't you? You took Overwatch. You got, like, getting rid of all the, uh, that big content they had, the skill trees, the very intimate story missions that was looking pretty damn good. No, no. 
You, no, you're just gonna just throw it out the window. Can I scream now? But yeah, I heard this, and I'm just like, oh goddamn it! Like, why would you do this? You should at least be offering, like, pay, like you should have made this for free as an absolute apology to everyone who was expect who wanted the things that justified Overwatch Two being Overwatch Two. Why? It's like Blizzard is kind of trying to tell everyone that it wants to die and it keeps using the same terrible ideas over and over again. And Activision Blizzard is, Activision is catching on to Blizzard's antics and they're trying to stop it. And then Microsoft's going to cancel the deal, hopefully, in their eyes. So, um... Moving on from my ranting, raging, and, and questioning of logistical arguments, Sonic Superstars will have a online battle mode. Sort of. So they said, so, so someone on Twitter, SS, SFF1991, said, so I wanted to verify this as being true before I say anything about this, but I checked it's true. It's an official email from Sega and it was in my in inbox. Apparently Sonic Superstars will have some kind of battle mode and unlike co-op, this is local and online. So, yeah. Releasing on PS5, PS4, Xbox, and PC, and Switch, and Epic Games Store, and Steam this coming fall, Sonic Superstars was introduced just two weeks before the upcoming release of Sonic Origin Plus, which is the first time we've seen classic Sonic running in 3D and Sonic Forces. It is taking the aesthetics of a 2D Sonic game, but Team Sonic's team creative director... I'm not pronouncing his name, said in an interview with IGN that was made with VG graphics to open up new gameplay possibilities. Yay. Dragon's Dogma 2 is four times the size of the original. Yay. During the Capcom showcase, because once again, they need to keep making more showcases in this time of the month. Built in the RE engine, players will engage with the action RPG fighting across the sprawling medieval open world that promises a high graphical fidelity. Can we just have the game be good first? Can, can, can we have the game be good? Like, I'm all for graphics, but come on, can we just have the game be good? And because they want to keep building up on showcase mode, uh, they announced that Apollo Justice, Ace Attorney Trilogy, was announced during the showcase. Set for 2024 release date on PS, PC, PS4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch. I'm curious as to why it's not going on the other platforms, but okay. But, uh, yeah. Uh, Apollo Justice is the follow-up to the Ace Attorney, which includes the 4th, 5th, and 6th mainline Ace Attorney games in the Courtroom Battle series. And it features, and it was first launched on Nintendo DS in 2007 before coming out to mobile, and most recently, Nintendo 3DS in 2017. Then Dual Destinies, the second one, came out, first came out on 3DS in 2013 before launching on mobile a year later. And with Spirit of Justice coming out on 2016 on 3DS and then coming out on mobile but one year later. Also, uh, the FTC is requesting a temporary restraining order to prevent Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. And... 
Yeah, this a federal court in California has issued a temporary restraining order as well requested by the FTC that effectively blocks the purchase of Activision Blizzard for the time being, as reported by The Verge. The court in question agrees to the issue of the restraining order requested by FTC as it considers preliminary injunction that would allow the FTC to make a legal case against Microsoft before the deal could be completed. So, the... Or- Uh, yeah, the order means Microsoft and Activision cannot complete the deal until after 11.59 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on the fifth business day after the court rules on the FTC's request for preliminary injunction, or if it's later, a date set by the court. Yeah, so this has been part of the saga. There was there's been a massive court thing. We'll talk about that later in episode in a future episode. But uh, yeah, it's been pretty crazy. Also, um, they also been having to match Xbox Game Studios. Meanwhile, had uh, said that they want to ha- be more disciplined about managing expectations, <laughs> saying the company wants to be more disciplined about it. And I'm just like. How about you just make good games and not anger people with overbroken promises? Like, how about we do that? Yeah, no. Okay. I know I was asking for too much, but um, it was nice trying. So, yeah. Meanwhile, we got a ton of Assassin's Creed stuff, because of course we do. Uh, The upcoming Assassin's Creed Nexus game that's coming to VR with a new look at Assassin's Creed Nexus that showcases the first ever first person VR parkour and assassination for the franchise. Uh, they announced, Ubisoft is reassuring players that Assassin's Creed Nexus is a full-fledged Assassin's Creed game. They sat, IGN sat down with creative director David, I can't pronounce that last name, to talk about the game, which we learned to, which we learned has an unusual story structure. It's split between the three protagonists we've met in previous games, Ezio, Cassandra, and Connor, and ties their stories together through a player and certain protagonist looking for a hidden artifact that each may have encountered. So hearing about the return of these three, I was like, man, that's going to be awesome. So can we actually get like a non-VR version of this game or are we just going to be like annoyed? It was quietly confirmed back in 2021 before being given an actual title earlier in the month. And it's coming exclusively to MetaQuest 2 sometime this year. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh... Assassin's Creed Mirage aims to improve on the representation of the original Assassin's Creed during Ubisoft Forward because, like I said, this month was the month of showcases. Um, over the years, the original Assassin's Creed has faced some criticism over certain aspects of certain representation of the Middle Eastern culture and people. For example, the game includes no significant female characters and a voice actor who plays Altair with an American accent, which he later drops in subsequent games. To some, this may seem like fairly small critiques in the series that has largely done historical accuracy better and better with each subsequent entry, but as a result, the Ubisoft 2023 has higher expectations placed upon it than the Ubisoft 2007. Well, considering this was originally supposed to be a person Prince of Persia open world game, but then turned to an Assassin's Creed game, and then launched a new franchise. That's saying a lot. Well, they well, uh, they get so 
they they seen efforts in the trailer which has multiple women front and center based some story but speaking of IGN narrative director Shara says she's really proud of the team's efforts working with historians internally and externally on a daily basis to ensure everything about Mirage was an authentic 9th century Baghdad as possible and that extends to casting too. We want actors to come from the Middle East and whatever the characters they were playing for from. So for example, Beso, his origins were never told in Valhalla. We know that he was born in Samaria. I'm pretty sure Samaria. And back in the days, especially in Baghdad, and people were, would come from everywhere. So you have people coming from the Middle East, but also from other countries. And we have this diversity that we wanted to portray. So again, we had experts in, in, from every field and we're really proud of those, these, that aspect, really, because I think we did a great job of portraying the, this diversity with all the people in it. Assassin's Creed Mirage has been a welcome announcement to many fans of the original games, which were far from far more stealth-focused and have fewer dense action RPG mechanics. Mirage purports to harken back to the original games with shorter, more linear story progression and a, and a Middle Eastern setting. I mean, like, it took forever for, um... It's also similar in gameplay where your players are engaged in a black box mission where they spend time gathering intel, listening in on conversations, and otherwise plotting how they'll approach an assassination target. Once they know what they're up against, the layers can use stealth and parkour to approach and complete the assassination. Full hand-to-hand -hand combat, while possible, is more of a last resort when other options have failed. So, everyone's excited for that. Uh, I don't know if I'm gonna walk get it because my issues with Ubisoft nowadays... But uh, we'll see. It's exciting to see Assassin's Creed try and take a return to form to its past, but let's see how that works out. Meanwhile, Assassin's Creed codename Jade enters public testing later later in near the end of June. More specifically, uh, let's see, they haven't given a, a date on that. But um, sandwich between Nexus and Mirage at today's U at, at Ubisoft Forward event. They got a look, longer look at the upcoming mobile game Assassin's Creed Go Named Jade, which is preparing to enter a public testing phase ahead of launch. And it's being made with Level Infinite Publishing Division as a first, mobile first Assassin's Creed game that takes place in China and is set during the Qin Dynasty, just after the Warring States period, and between the events of Assassin's Creed Odyssey and Origin. First off, what's shown was the character customization in a series where players can fully customize the look and style of their assassin's character, including gender, clothing, and other features. And Cora J is said to be making first big project pro progress since it was first revealed almost a year back, and had just wrapped up a technical alpha on iOS. Ubisoft was opening up pre-registrations for a public testing phase where the game releases on iOS and Android at a later date. So, yeah, the, the Assassin's Creed is kind of in this rebirth period. Let, let's just go and call it as it is. It's a rebirth period. I, I do not know what's going to happen in the rebirth period, but the, it's pretty bonkers. Meanwhile, the upcoming Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown is not a prequel, sequel, or any kind of spin-off of the beloved Sansa Time Trilogy. We'll still be seeing some of the ideas from those games, though, including the iconic time powers that re rewound the clock. However, it won't be you who could use the abilities they're reserved for the story's villain. So they're going to switch it up. The villain is going to use the time powers, but your hero has to somehow break the time loop and defeat this character. Like, this could be an interesting game. I would have loved it if it was a 3D action-adventure game to really explore it to the fullest potential, but we'll see how it handles in 2D. 
Along with that, they announced an X-Defined open beta announced alongside a release window, which was announced as, let's see, uh, Ubisoft announced during the Ubisoft 4 event that it will be releasing later this summer is also confirmed that Open Beta 2, which will be available June 21st to June 23rd, which had already happened, so it's over. But in addition to the Open Beta, Ubisoft talked about the year one roadmap, confirmed there will be 14 multiplayers, five factions, 14 maps, five factions, 24 maps, and the end of all this. The year one content schedule will include include more content and whatnot and new maps. There's uh, one new map every month, Ubisoft said. So X Defiant was really released, originally released in back in 2021. X Defiant is a team-based shooter with a variety of classes and factions. Part of their Ubisoft Forward event, including the new gameplay of Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, which we're going to talk about. They first revealed the gameplay, and after the RDA leaves Pandora, an unnamed Navani rediscovers her homeworld and re- reconnects with her heritage, learning Nav- Navi's weapons and survival skills, and honing them for when the N- RDA inevitably returns to Pandora. The gameplay is reminiscent of the other open-world shooter, Far Cry, where players must venture into Avenue Pandora and take down RDA strongholds scattered across the planet. Players are able to use a mix of Navi weapons like bows and stab and RDA weapons like machine guns and rocket launchers. Players will also need to hunt animals to cook meals that will keep Navi going in their fight against the RDA and commune with, with a character I can't pronounce their name to gain new abilities and improve their skills. It will also be possible to bond and name Nakian, giving you an aerial mount for traversing Pandora. Since skill trees will improve, your move, will improve movement, your ability to ride mounts, and more. According to Ubisoft, the long-awaited adaptation will include a single-player and two-player co-op, and it's designed for maximum new-gen consoles. Maximize the new-gen. It is considered canon to the way of water, and Ubisoft Massive is working with James Cameron's team to fully realize an interactive version of the Western Frontier, but the game will star a brand new character, and it is unclear if we'll encounter Jake or Nithiria in the game. But we'll have more details as it approaches Frontiers of Pandora's December 7th release window. So Arcane Austin has released the first big patch for Redfall, and the 60 FPS performance mode is not part of it. <laughs> so, 1.1 includes incremental improvements to gameplay, combat, AI, environment stability, and multiplayer, accessibility, UI, and various bug fixes, according to their patch notes. But, um... Yeah, they don't have the update for the performance mode, which sucks. So, uh, yeah, considering they also announced that uh, Starfield is locked at 30 frames per second on Xbox X and S, it's already annoying people. Also, so Reddit did something incredibly stupid, and various major subreddits have gone dark in protest, and they're expecting them to not fight back. Also, Xbox head Phil Spencer said he doesn't feel an imperative to release a mid-cycle Xbox console upgrade three years after the launch of the Xbox Series X and S consoles. In an interview with Bloomberg, he said of a mid-cycle upgrade of games is saying this, talked about this. That's not the feedback we're getting right now. Right now, we're pretty set on the hardware we have. It's not uncommon for console makers to release mid-generation upgrades with the hardware within a few years. 
Uh, the Xbox One S roughly was released three years after the Xbox One came out, and a more, a more powerful console, the Xbox One X, was released roughly four years after the original Xbox One came out. Similarly, there was the PS4 Slim and the PS4 Pro after the PS4's 2013 launch. And there was the Black Series S console that's coming out that includes a 1TB SSD storage and launching on September 1st at 350 bucks. Though I've been hearing a lot of people say this is like a scam, essentially. I don't know much. Also, Street Fighter VI's first battle pass will br brings the early summer vibes. The pass is available from June 12th to July 2nd, as in the standard battle passes, it has both free and premium track. The premium track costs 250 coins. Why not just use real one money instead of using a system that makes no sense? Which amounts to five bucks. New avatar gear, emo, a new new music, various menu cosmetics. There's even access to retro Capcom game, legendary wings to play from the virtual arcade cannons and the battle hub. The free track grants fighter rentals for use when the Street Fighter 6 DLC characters eventually come out, new profile titles, and an emo for use in the battle hub. The premium track lets you earn 250 fighter coins back by reaching level 30, which will hopefully be enough to buy the next battle pass, but let's be real, this is an industry of business of Sarks, and we're being screwed over big time. Meanwhile, the director of the Scrap Stars 1313 has joined the team of Amy Henning's upcoming Star Wars game at Sky Skydance New Media. So, let's hope this is actually a secret Star Wars 1313, just re retooled and everything to fit the new canon. I'm damn hoping for something great out of this but let, but I'm gonna wait and see and last but not least the Transformers and G.I. Joe return Robert Kirkman's Void Rivals number one marked the beginning of a new shared universe featuring the Transformers and G.I. Joe universe G.I. Joe characters beginning what is now called the Energon universe Energon universe since Robert Kirkman's and Lorenzo Defletti's, pretty sure I put you that top secret new comic Void Rivals, which launched, which launched around June fourteenth, and for publishers Skybound teasing it as the start of something big. In the first pages of the issue, protagonists Derek and Solia are fighting to survive on an alien planet where they stumble across something entirely unexpected. Jetfire, one of the Transformers. Skybound has confirmed that Void Rattles is the first of several new books to be set in the Energon universe, a shared continuity that will incorporate the Transformers and G.I. Joe titles, which is basically more or less the rebooted shared universe from the days of the IDW shared universe of Hasbro stuff, which sucked that they canceled that it probably should have stood around especially since you had more than just gi joe and the transformers like you had raw and you had jen and the holograms and freaking clue in this in this massive shared universe but who knows maybe the films will do the job for us Kirkman then said, It's a tremendous honor to be, to be able to reintroduce this world to a new audience under the Skybound banner. I love these characters for most of my life, and to have the opportunity to add the already rich tapestry Hasbro has built with the all new Void Rivals is an unbelievable opportunity. If you look at everything done with Transformers and G.I. Joe, you can see the inkling of a vast universe with tremendous potential for crossovers and interaction that will enhance fan experience while staying true to the individual identities of both concepts. I look forward to exploring the potential for years to come. Which was Void Rivals. 
And also coming out of Void Rivals is Transformers, which will be by Darren War- Daniel Warren Johnson coming in October. Skybound synopsis in the new series reads, Optimus Prime is supposed to have led the Autobots to victory. Instead, the fate of Cybertron is unknown, and his allies have crashed on his far from home. I can't imagine what that place is, alongside the enemies, the Decepticons. As these titanic forces renew their war on Earth, one thing is immediately clear, the planet will never be the same again. Oh boy, how many times have we heard that advertisement? New alliances are struck. Battled lines are redrawn. And humanity's only hope of survival is Optimus Prime. Roll out! Following that will be Duke number one in December, the first issue of a new limited series by Joshua Williamson of DC Comics and Tom Riley. There delves into the origin of both G- G.I. Joe and Cobra and a world that's reeling from the arrival of the Autobots and Decepticons. The first of four limited series that are said to be setting the stage for a fresh new take on G.I. Joe, Cobra, and iconic characters that you only think you know. Right to that, J- January 2024 will see the launch of Cobra Commander. Also from Joshua Williamson, Skybound Blurbs reads it as, In a world where Cobra doesn't exist, one man's sinister plan to utilize the mysterious alien substance known as Energon will send shockwaves across the globe. Oh boy. But also, since several H Hasbro licenses have left IDW beyond Transformers and G.I. Joe, such as the Micronauts and ROM, and have returned to Marvel. Damn, it would have been nice to see these guys again in the new Transformers universe. But I am not an executive board member, and if I was, I'd probably go crazy. But I'd probably do a better job. <laughs> I kid, I kid, probably not. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be a fun ride seeing all this, and I'm curious to know how they'll take Transformers and G.I. Joe, especially when they have to channel, continue the legacy that they did of IDW's Hasbro shared universe. We'll see where that goes. I don't know. We don't. You don't know. No one knows. But we'll see, and I'm hopefully optimistic since they have a lot of great writers I like on this, and I'm looking forward to it. Daniel Warren Johnson, known for Wonder Woman Dead Earth, and even did Beta Ray Bill. Those were critically acclaimed for many. I enjoyed it, despite the depressing dour tone a lot of times. But the artwork, okay, the artwork of Daniel Warren Johnson always bugged me. I just don't know why. Maybe it's just not my cup of tea, but maybe it'll fit better for the Transformers. Like, like Optimus Prime looks awesome in his art style. Cobra Commander. It's Cobra. 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 So, yeah. <laughs> so, I'm looking forward to see where they take, where Skybound takes this shared universe with at, but, um, we'll have to see. I, I, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm optimistic, hopefully, with this talented group of writers and artists. We'll see. Uh,. But that's about it for me. This was your host, Eric Brown of Neo Reality Collective Pop Culture News and Reviews Talk. Feel free to check out our content. Follow me on, on Twitter, YouTube, all that stuff, NRE Wrestleverse. Follow me on all these social media platforms. Thank you again for the everyday fan to for 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 supporting this this podcast. And I look forward to working more on this on this. We'll see y'all again. Peace and take care. Have a good day, everybody. And stay tuned for this last outro, and I'll see y'all again. Peace.
sure to donate to the brand and keep up to date with additional content on YouTube channels, such as Neo Reality Entertainment, NRE The Wrestleverse, and NRE Pop Culture Omniversa.